listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Amen. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus. And man, thanks to Clint and Mike and the worship team for leading us today. And if you are a guest with us today, we're so glad you are here. We hope we get to meet you uh, before we uh, conclude today. And want you to know that we are in a series walking through the book of Ephesians. And it's hard to believe it's been 12 weeks now and we are coming to the very end. Next week we'll be in the very familiar passage of the armor of God. So if you ever went through a youth camp or vacation Bible school, you have probably are familiar with that. But to where we are today is really interesting because two weeks ago we talked about where Paul led us through the theological, what is important to believe, then into the practical. How do we live this out. And Paul gave us this word picture of how does someone, when they are under the control of the Holy Spirit, led by him, how do we then see that? And we began with marriage. And saw some great pictures over the last few weeks. The encouragement was to go and spend some time talking about your marriage. And let us see that as an encouragement, as a testimony that marriage matters. And we saw some great pictures. Then last week, it was all about parenting, or as Mike calls it, shot collar treatment. Uh, I have never put a shot collar on my child. Not that I've not wanted to, but I have not done that. Uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about, I was talking about my dog uh, that ate about $60 worth of steak. Um, but then we talked about the idea of parenting, and that parenting matters. And it is when we are under the control of the Spirit, this is what it looks like. And we encouraged you as a testimony, as an encouragement to go and snap a picture of your family doing something. And we saw some great pictures. Well, today Paul is going to give us one more relationship, but it's an uncomfortable one. Because today we're going to talk about masters and slaves. Now, most of the time I have heard this and seen this passage preached. Easily they jump to the 20th, 21st century to talk about the relationship between a boss and employee. And we're going to do a little bit of that because the words are relatable and uh, they are significant for our context. But I do not think we would do this passage justice if we did not stop and think about what this was like for those that Paul is writing to in the church of Ephesus. Because Paul could have used any words. He could have talked about the marketplace. But he chooses the words master and slaves for a reason. So if you will, turn in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5 today and we'll make it through verse 9. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning of verse 5, this is the word of the Lord. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, 
This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And this is the word of the Lord. Let his saints hear. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning on a beautiful day that you have blessed us with. It is always good to be in your house with your people and the honor and privilege of opening your word, reading it together, and then studying it as one. So Father, I pray as we do every week that, <coughs> Lord, you would guide and your spirit would teach us because this can be a very uncomfortable topic. But there is purpose and meaning behind it that you have for us today. And I pray you would reveal that to us. So Lord, I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Amen. You know, every day that we wake up and you head out the door, we're all really faced with a question that we often don't think about. It doesn't matter who you are or even what you do. You could be a student you could be a bank teller, a stay-at-home mom. You could work in construction or maintenance, a, a teacher, a counselor, an attorney, a nurse, a salesperson, and even a pastor. That every day that we leave our home, if we do, or we work from home, that every single day we are faced with a question. And this question is this, is who am I living for today? Think oftentimes we get up, we go about our routine. Do we often stop and think about who am I going to live for today? I think when we don't think about it, we go to the only thing we know to do, and that is to live for just me. But I think Paul is wanting us to wrestle with the question of lordship, of who is actually Lord of my life? Who am I living for today? And so that is how I've broken up this passage of the title of Lordship lived out. And he is going to first of all talk the focus of the bond servant. Then in one verse, verse 9, he will give us the focus of the master. So look again with me, the focus of the bond servant. Look back in verse 5 and notice how it begins. I'm reading from the ESV version and it says bond servants. And that is a polite word for the word slave. In fact, I looked back in some of my older ESV versions and they actually use the word slave. But Paul's context, who is he writing to? What is going on? Well, Paul is writing this around 60 AD. It's 30 years past the time that Christ rose from the dead. And Rome is the most powerful nation in the world. In fact, you can see they were spreading and this was the most powerful nation. It is estimated that at this time in the Roman Empire that one-third of the entire population, 60 million people, were slaves. And you could become a slave for several reasons. One, they would take over your city and conquer it, or your village, and you were taken as a slave. Another way is you were in too much debt. You owed someone money you could not pay, so you became indebted to them. You became their servant, their slave. 
In other ways, maybe you damaged their property. You caused them to lose something. You would then become their slave, their indentured servants. Reading through the history of Paul's time, slaves performed all kinds of duties. Some are domestic servants in a home where they did the household chores. They might be nannies and cooks. You could be a slave, a gardener, a farmer. There were even doctors and physicians. Now, some slaves, he tells us that they enjoyed some freedoms. They had rights and they had some responsibilities. And some even owned land and homes. But the key is, these were people that were seen and treated as if they were someone's property. You could be bought, you could be sold. A master, just like in Rome, we saw with the father, they had absolute power over their slave's life and death. And so I hope you're asking the question, is why does Paul not come out and condemn slavery? Because that is the question I have been wrestling with ever since I saw the outline of where we would be. That is the question I've been asking this week is why does Paul not come out and condemn this system? Well, hopefully I will be able to answer that in a little bit. But first, remember Paul has just done something. Just like we saw with women and just like we saw with children. Remember what that was? Paul showed them dignity. By simply mentioning women and children, even mentioning them first, he was showing them dignity. And that's exactly what he is doing with bondservants or slaves. Because slavery back in Paul's time, it was based on the socioeconomic makeup of who you were. There were simply those that had and those that had not. And if you had, you looked down on anyone that did not have and you treated them differently. So this is the context. And in this church, there were people that were slaves. And I believe there were people that were masters. And very likely there could be people that some were the slave of a master that is sitting under the reading and teaching of Paul's letter. So notice his command to the servants, the slaves, the bond servants. He says, obey your earthly masters. And you know, it simply means to carry out what they tell you to do. And Paul says, if you're a slave, if you're a servant, you're to obey. But notice the attitude that that obedience is to be done in. With fear and trembling. You realize those are the words that are used to describe our attitude toward God. We're to approach him with fear and trembling. And this is Paul telling them that they're to obey with fear and trembling, meaning proper respect and reverence. And then he says, with a sincere heart. And this is really an interesting phrase. It means without wax. Because what would happen is somebody would take a piece of pottery and if it was cracked... They would take wax and heat it up, put it in the crack of that piece of pottery. And they would either paint it or, or mark it in some way and then sell it off as if it wasn't broken. And it, to the kind of natural eye, you wouldn't notice this until you held it up to the light. 
And you could notice the difference in the hue, the color from the wax to the pottery. So they had a phrase that where they were talking about this that meant sun-tested. It means to be genuine. So Paul tells these bondservants to obey with proper respect and reverence and with a genuine heart. Now I've just begun imagining the faces of the people. This letter arrives in Ephesus from Paul and they open it up and they begin reading it. And for maybe several weeks they've been reading through this letter and they get to this place. Imagine the faces of people that would be hearing this. Many in that audience were most likely indentured servants to someone. Imagine them thinking, Paul, you just don't know how unreasonable my master is. You don't know how I'm treated. You don't know the, the work that I have to do. Imagine them thinking, Paul, that's a lot easier to say than to actually do. And they would be absolutely correct. Because in our fallen, natural, selfish states, this would actually be impossible. So Paul adds something. You obey with, with fear and trembling, proper reverence, proper respect, and let it be genuine. But not to your master. Because notice what he says, as you would Christ. He wants to take their focus off of the earthly master and put it on Christ. That Paul wants them to see that every day they get up, every day they walk out of their door, every day they go to that field or they go to that home or wherever they might be going, they are facing a question. Who am I going to live for today? So Paul says to these bondservants, obey with genuine reverence and respect just as you would if you were going to work for Christ. But Paul's not done. There's more. Look at verse 6 and 7. He says, and you do this, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So not only obey with reverence and respect, but work hard. Even if the master is not looking, don't do this to please them, but you do it to please the Lord. So he says your service needs to be loyal, it needs to be faithful, it needs to be genuine, just as you would as you were serving the Lord. But then notice Paul's last words to the bondservants. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So he says, your hard work, your loyalty, your, your faithful service, your, your good work ethic, when you are doing all this with genuine respect and reverence, there's a promise that the Lord will reward you, that it doesn't go unnoticed. And that God is going to give back. You will receive back from him from all that you have been doing. Imagine that had to be encouraging to some of those. Well, then in the last verse, he addresses masters. In verse 9, he says, masters, do the same. 
And he's talking about this same attitude of respect. Because remember, that's what Paul is fighting for here when he's going back in Ephesians chapter 5, 21. What is he talking about? Mutual respect. We see it in the marriage. We see it in the home. And now he's saying even between master and bondservant that there must be mutual respect. And I know what you're doing in your mind. You're playing with, oh, what if, what if, what if? I know. But notice what he says to them. Stop you're threatening. This makes me believe there are some in these churches that he was writing to and that are listening to this letter that were masters. And I think Paul is driving back to that Ephesians chapter 5, 21 about mutual respect. But for a master to show respect to a bondservant, Paul knows they need two things. One, he knows this. When the master gets up, He's heading out the door, wherever he might be going, he's faced with a question. Who am I going to live for today? But there's a second thing these masters, they need, is that they have to start seeing those that are indebted to them differently. Notice how a master should view them. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. Of all the things that were separating these two different classes of people. One was a master, one was a slave. One gave orders, one followed. One had freedom, one did not. One had financial means, the other not. But they both, both actually have the same master who is in heaven. And when God looks at them... When he sees what they're doing, do you see, realize what he says? God sees no partiality. He doesn't see them that way. In fact, God isn't at all concerned about their place in society. Do you know what he's concerned with? No matter what place they are living in, it's how they are treating others. So before I get to how this might apply to us in 2021... I want to try to wrestle with some of these questions. Like, why does Paul not come out and condemn slavery? The easy answer would just be to say, you know, slavery was different back in Paul's day. In some ways, yes, but in some ways, it wasn't. It'd be easy just to kind of say, you know, people were treated much more fairly back in Paul's day than they were in our history. And that's just simply not true. Because when Paul is writing, there was also cruelty. Just in the fact that you could take a person who was created in the image of God and you could buy, sell, and trade them. Seeing them nothing more as a possession, a tool, a means to an end. So what we've noticed is we've seen three groups. We've seen the husband and wife and we've seen the home. Now we're seeing masters and slaves. And Paul gave dignity to wives. He gave dignity to children. And he's given dignity to bond servants. But there is one major difference in these groups. The husband, wife, the home, the parents and children. All of those were a part of God's created order. 
God created male and female and he, he bound them together in marriage. He told them to go and to be fruitful and multiply and God created and established the home. But this example here, this was not part of God's created order. God did not establish this relationship. So slavery or the master-slave relationship, it was created because men are sinful. It's an imperfect world with imperfect relationships. And Paul is living in the midst of this. So one question is, is Paul supporting slavery? And I would say absolutely not. Because if he wanted to, Paul could have went back to Exodus 20 through 24 where you see the Mosaic Code and how Israel was to relate to the, on a national level to one another. There were civil codes that established for them where you would actually find laws pertaining to this issue. But Paul doesn't do that. And I believe it's because Paul is wanting to do something. I think Paul is wanting to consistently and constantly bring both of these groups, bond and free, master and slave, back in to Christ. Because nowhere do you see Paul trying to bring legitimacy to this system. Nowhere do you see him trying to argue for it by, well, look at the benefits that, that it has created. Rather, he wants to draw the attention of both masters and slaves to Christ. Because he knows that is the only way to bring about change. So does Paul speak out against slavery? I think he actually does. When we read through this letter, we're noticing he wants them to see, I believe, how wrong this view is. To treat a person less than you are. And that is wrong in any context, in any system. He wants them to see how wrong it is to see people as property that can be bought and sold and traded. I think he speaks out by trying to show them that they are all one in Christ. He's speaking out against it by showing them that actually they are all a part of the Christian community. He wants them to see that they all have a greater master in heaven. And he wants them to see that God is utterly impartial, even if they are not living that way. So then I begin thinking, then what is Paul doing? If Paul really wants this, how is Paul going to go about changing the system and the culture? You know what I found so interesting is that Paul doesn't go after the culture. He doesn't attack the system. What he does, he goes after the people's hearts. Because he knows that's the only way to bring about real needed change in a system or a culture is you must have the hearts of the people changed. Listen how one pastor said it. He said, the New Testament does not focus on reforming or restructuring human systems which are never the root cause of human problems. The issue is always the heart of man, which when it's wicked will corrupt even the best systems. And when it's righteous, will improve the worst. 
If men's sinful hearts are not changed, they will always find ways to oppress others regardless of whether or not there is actual slavery. Meaning the only way to change a culture is if the hearts of the people are changed. The only way to change a system is if the hearts of the people are changed. And he knows that until people know Christ and come underneath his lordship, that is the only moment that things will change. But he knows if he can take these two classes of people that seem so different and he can make them realize their union in Christ, then change happens. In fact, if they truly see this, if they truly believed it, how in the world could they treat someone as less than them? Because all you have to do is read through the book of Philemon. Here's Onesimus. He's a slave. His master is Philemon. Paul writes to him and talks about how valuable he has been and how much Paul loves him. And he sends him back. You remember what he says to him? Accept him like a brother. So the only way, I think, to erode the foundation of such an evil system and culture, in other words, Paul is wanting to undermine slavery from within. So in closing, let me relate this to us today. Some of us are bosses. Some of us are employees. Some of us even live in both worlds. So the application for us is if you work for someone, if you have someone that has authority over you, Paul is saying obey. Follow their commands with reverence and respect do it with a genuine heart. Be loyal. Be faithful in the task, even when they're not looking. But we know it isn't always easy. We've all had difficult bosses. We've been in jobs where we go unappreciated. But the only way we can fulfill this calling is when we get up in the morning and we begin to walk out the doors to ask the question, who am I living for today? Because you know the truth, there's always going to be difficult bosses. There's always going to be a situation where we feel underappreciated. There's always going to be tasks that we don't want to do. But the one thing we can control is how we respond. So I think it's really a question of lordship. Who am I ultimately serving in this time and place? So if you're a boss, you have people that work for you, you have people that report to you. Do the same with the same attitude of respect and reverence. Loyalty to them. He says no threats. Removing all the hostility. But you know we've all had people that we've been responsible for. That we've been leading that are difficult. We have people that will try to undermine us. They will question our every move. They'll be lazy, they're going to grumble, they're going to complain. But the call is to respond with respect, reverence, and loyalty. And so we can only do this when we get up in the morning, we head out the door to ask the question, who am I going to live for today? That it's really a question of lordship.
So are we only serving ourselves? Are we only serving our bank accounts? Are we only serving the company that looks to us to lead? Or are we doing everything as unto Christ? And so I close with this. Slavery is an evil for many reasons. Mainly because it takes people that are created in the image of God and it sees them and treats them as property, as tools, only a means to an end. But you know what is sad is we can even still have that mindset today. That we can look at people around us, maybe they even work for us, and we can look at people and see them only as tools. Only in a way that we are seeing them, that they are helping me get and achieve what I want and I need. That they are simply a means to an end. So today Paul is asking the question, who are you going to be living for? And so we've seen in couples, we've seen that marriage matters. We've seen in the family that family matters. And I want you to know today your work matters. That God has you where you are for a reason. Inside and outside the home. And it doesn't mean that your job won't ever change. But when we get up in the morning, wherever you go, I want you to know it matters. That God has put you around certain people. He's put you in a certain context that he wants us to make a difference. And it only happens when we get up and we ask that question in the morning when the alarm clock goes off and the coffee maker starts brewing is who am I going to live for today? And so I want you to know it matters. And so the challenge is this, is a testimony that man, God has me here for a time and a place and a reason. And that I want to live for him. Man, I'd love to see you in your workplace. Use it as an encouragement to other people. Snap a picture of what you are doing and the people you're working with that it matters. And then use that hashtag, it matters BBCW, as a testimony. You know, no matter what I'm doing, it matters. So church, pray with me. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.